Hey, Jubilee. Thank you so much for joining us online this weekend. You're our online campus, and we appreciate so much that you'd be a part of what's going on on our weekend. We're in the middle of our What About series where we're looking at root causes of shame and struggles in our lives as Christians and how God has better for us in the lives that we're wanting to live for Him. So join every weekend to see what He has to say to you specifically because we believe that He has specific words for every person that's a part of our church at all of our campuses. If you'd like to give to our church, we have three easy ways that you can give this weekend. You could give on our website, jfc.org. You could give on our app, or you can text to give our new high-tech way that you can give, and it's totally safe and totally awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a really good weekend. What true words those are. Great is your faithfulness. This is my confidence. You know, we were singing that song last night in the first service. Um, I love it except for one word. You've never failed me yet. And I told Jay, we pay for the license, but that doesn't mean we can't alter the song. So maybe we take the word yet out. I get what they're trying to say, like we haven't lived it yet. But the truth of the matter is God can't fail. He can't lie. He can't be true. And he promises to never leave or forsake us. So that yet, maybe it's like a hedge but it's unnecessary because God is just simply always faithful. And Lord, I pronounce your faithfulness over us and our lives and our families. Where we go and what we do, what happened yesterday, what's going on now, and what will happen tomorrow. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you do make a way for us. And thank you, God, that we can count on those things. Lord, I attach it right now to every person who hears this. And I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can go ahead and be seated. Uh, on the way in, you were handed the notes. And uh, if you want to get those, uh, you'll need a pen or a pencil. Uh, there's some fill-in-the-blanks. And if you want to use the online U version, Y-O-U version of the notes, that's great, too. And uh, as always, if you learn best by just listening, whatever works for you. I have two quick announcements that have to do with um, an opportunity for community. The first one is this Wednesday, 7.30 in the morning. So it's people who like community early, okay? 7.30 here in this sanctuary. It's, um, it, it's our business biz hub gathering. We called it mastermind at one time, but it's for people who are in business, so it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to own your own business. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can just be trying to network. It's a great opportunity to network. A lot of people have used it for that. The reason I'm taking the time to talk about it when I normally don't, we have a guest speaker this Wednesday. His name's Hans Finzel. And uh, Hans is an author uh, of a lot of leadership books, but I've personally used him a couple of different times for the staff. I've had him come in and uh, teach. In fact, this last Tuesday, I had him teach. He's the author of, I think it's eight different, but Jesus, whatever that is, take care of those people. Um, he's the author of about eight different uh, books, uh, sought-after speaker. He's literally in town only about 50% of the time, so getting him to speak is a little tough, but we arranged uh, to have him here. And so I just want to give you a personal invitation. I really think that you would enjoy it. His subject is actually um, how to build teams using different age groups like uh, Z, Millennials, boomers, you recognize, man, there's just such a difference in the mindset of those people right there. 
And so how do you bring them together? Like on our staff in particular, one of the things that I've sought him out on, I've got all sorts of uh, ranges. I've got really elderly, like Pastor Terry. And then, uh, <laughs> is he in here? I don't think he's in here. Um, <laughs> tell, tell him I said that when you see him. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, I've got uh, all ages, you know, 50s and 40s and 30s and even into 20s. And we, we take people in all age groups uh, and then we don't tell the younger ones, hey, you need to wait. We try to find places where we can give them authority, like up here in front of you leading worship are many millennials. Uh, then, you know, in many other places inside of our ministry, though, we've got all sorts of ranges. How do you get the cohesiveness to make that work? So maybe you're hearing that and it doesn't like, so what? So maybe then Wednesday wouldn't be for you. But if you hear that and maybe you're in a position where that could make a difference or you're part of something like that, in your community where you work. I think it would be to your benefit to spend about an hour this Wednesday. Again, it's here uh, in the sanctuary. And then the other one is an opportunity for community that's fun. We've never done it before. Um, Here's what it is. We had a pastor on staff years and years ago, a a millennial that we brought up um, from from the time he was, um, man, he was in elementary school and uh, through high school. Um, Tremendous musician. His name is Thomas Ewing. And Thomas now travels with a band that opens for uh, 10th Avenue North. And they're opening uh, June 2nd at Fiddler's for Toby Mac, if you know that name. So what I thought would be fun was for us to support him. It's, it's a great opportunity for them. Uh, obviously, God's really elevating them right now, and they're, they're really doing well. Uh, they just signed a, a record contract, um, and uh, it's, it's a neat thing. But one of our own is going to be here at Fiddler's on June 2nd. So I thought, how about if those who wanted to uh, in our church, we just got together and we supported them. So we sold about 100 tickets last night uh, for this. And I, I don't know, maybe we'll have three or 400 people that show up at Fiddler's and we can overwhelm the thing and shout Thomas Ewing's name. Um, he actually has led worship for us uh, for several years uh, before he went on and, and he's in Nashville now, but doing quite well. So the concert is June the 2nd. It's at Fiddler's Green, and here's what we did. We didn't know how many tickets to purchase, had no idea. So we talked to Fiddler's, and they, they, they gave us this great opportunity for this weekend. I can't do it moving forward, but for this weekend, they're letting us pre-sell the tickets. They're $25. It's actually cheaper than you could buy them because uh, we got a group deal with it. We just thought it would be great, uh, an opportunity to fellowship for all of us and an opportunity to support one of our own, and if you like, Toby Mac, too. Um, you get a chance to, to see Toby Mack. But it's Fiddler's, June the 2nd. I think the concert's at 7 o'clock in the foyer at both campuses uh, this weekend. Um, they'll be selling the tickets. If you didn't bring the money to purchase them, sign it. We'll trust you that, uh, that you'll pay us. But if you want to go, we'd love to have you there. I think it's going to be fun. Chris and I are going to go uh, no matter what just to support him and to, uh, to be a part of it. But wouldn't it be fun? to have, you know, three or 400 people representing Jubilee and, and yelling for Thomas. He really is. He's a tremendous musician. So uh, enough about those things. Let's go ahead and we'll jump into this. Here's what we're doing. Um, we're in a series called What About? And it's the last weekend for it. Next weekend is Easter. And then we'll start a new series after that called All In. And I think you'll like that a lot too. Here's where this series came from. Uh, in January, I did a one-off message on shame. Um, not how to be shamed, but how to get rid of shame. Just seeing if you're listening, and it doesn't appear that that many are. Um, so it was, it was dealing with shame, and I just talked about this. The shame is one of those things that can change the arc of your life. And it not, it's not necessarily something that you did, although it could be, but it could have been something that was done to you. Shame is one of those weird things. How do you know you have shame? 
Shame is when you ask God for forgiveness. It's when you've made the necessary reparations to move beyond it, and yet somehow it keeps coming back over and over and over again. And when that thing grabs a hold of you, that's what I mean by changing the arc of your life. Instead of letting you go where you want to go and do what you want to do and be able to be free, shame is like a shackle. It's like a label. Uh, It's like a pathway that you get on and you can't get off of it. Uh, In my mind, when I was thinking about how it works, you know, we live in a state that when it snows, when we get a good snow, you you know those ruts in the road that your car gets into? Do you know how hard it is to get out of those? those, It's like you're just on the highway and you're going to go till you run out of snow, (laughs) right? Those ice channels, that's what it's like with shame. You get stuck in that rut, and it's so hard to pull yourself out of it. It just seems like every time you try, you end up right back in the same place. So to teach on that, and then to say this, this was the point of it. The Bible says that Jesus became shamed on the cross so that you and I don't have to be shamed. And if we really get that and understand the work of Christ in our lives, then the opportunity to give it to him, to take it from us so that we can be free. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. Does that make sense? So how, how do we then, how do we live that? How do we do that? It's one thing to get it here, but it's another thing to get it here. And you don't live it till it's here, right? You, you can say it when it's here, but you don't live it till it gets in the heart. So how do you get it? So one of the things that I thought, we pre-cut those papers and we said, uh, you know, the Bible tells us in the book of James, confess your sins one to another to receive your healing, to be healed from shame. And when it comes to confession of sin, we don't, in our church, have um, a good way to do it. So I grew up a Catholic kid, and they had a confessional. But what made that work is that there was anonymity. So you need two things to confess. You either need complete anonymity, where you know someone's not going to use it against you, or you need complete trust with someone where you know they won't use it against you. And how do you go if you're in the middle of those things? You're not anonymous, but you haven't built up enough trust. You're not used to doing it. How, how can we do that? So I thought a neat way would. Terry built that, that wall in the back. Write on the paper what it is. Don't sign it with your name, but leave it here. Let Jesus take it. Nail it to the cross. When you leave this place, let it represent physically you're leaving this thing behind, this thing that was done to you or that you did. And even if you're currently doing it, write it and leave it. Let God have it was the point. And there was... Uh, an overwhelming response to it. More than a 1,000 people had filled out that card. It was overwhelming for me personally to take it back and to read what, what some of our people were going through. It wasn't like, hey, I've got a hangnail I can't get rid of. They were heavy things. It broke my I wept over some of those things, honestly. And we prayed over them and we shredded them. But I did, I did do something that I thought was, I'll never get this opportunity again. I categorized them into what I thought, what's the root cause of these things going on in people's lives? And I came up with five things that I thought if we could address the root cause, not the symptom, but the root, then maybe we can change what's going on. And so out of that came the series, What About? And each What About was the root thing. So today I wind up and I'm going to talk about restoration. What about restoration? Because ultimately, if you're going to deal with sin and you're going to deal with shame and you're going to deal with things that you've done or that have been done to you, the bottom line point is this. If you're going to deal with it, you need to be restored afterwards, don't you? 
You want to be restored. So what is restoration? How do you, how do you get restoration in your life? What, what is biblical restoration? I mean, there's a lot that's talked about it. There's a lot on television about restoration. In fact, right now, whether you're for it or against it, they're talking about the idea of reparations right now. Reparations actually, biblically, has an understanding that when God restores you, he gives back what was done to you. Did you hear what I just said? The things that were supposed to happen in your life, God wants to restore to you. The things that the enemy has done to you, the Bible actually promises God will give you back twice for what the devil did. And in an understanding of what, what restoration is, it does have the idea of reparation. So here's what we have said about our church before we ever began it. Uh, it's a slogan that is repeated by almost everyone who stands in the pulpit. And by the way, standing in the pulpit, before I forget real quick, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kate and last week, Pastor Jake. Wow, man, did they do an awesome job or what? Appreciate them so much. Their teaching ministry. Just, yes, thank you. Thank you so, so much for uh, receiving them and for encouraging them. Um, and thanks to both of them for what you bring to the table, man. It is it's powerful. It really is, and I appreciate uh, the gift that you have. Um, here's what we all say when we stand up here. Jubilee is a place where you can discover and what? Recover. recover. Very good. It's translate. If you can repeat it, it's translating. If it's portable and you can remember it, then we're getting it across to you. So Jubilee is a place where you can discover and recover. The word recover has to do with restoration. Part of why we exist, part of why this church is here, part of what this church has that maybe another church doesn't concentrate on or, or uh, 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 hold on to is the idea that if you're here, you can recover in this place. You can be restored in this place. So I want to talk about what restoration is. Let me give you a biblical definition real quick. It's not in your notes, but we as a team, uh, in, in hashing this out, uh, tried to come up with what, what is the clearest understanding of biblical restoration. So if you want to write this down, maybe this one word, wholeness. It's to be made whole. So the word shalom, familiar with it? It's a Hebrew word. Uh, it's a greeting. Most people would know it as a greeting that when you meet someone, uh, you would say shalom. When you leave someone, you would say shalom. Shalom means peace, but really it's biblically, it means to be whole in your mind your spirit and your body. So when you wish someone the peace of God, you're wishing them wholeness. Be whole in your mind, your spirit. Just real quick, how many of you would love to be whole in all three areas? That's biblical restoration. So God's not interested in just a part, a third or two-thirds of your life. It's all three parts he wants to be whole. You work best. You're the best version of yourself. You can do more in the kingdom when all three things have come together. So restoration is to be sound. It's to be whole. So when we talk about recovery, we were talking about being whole. Uh, I referenced the scripture where God says that he will give back what's been taken from us in the past. It's from Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, Joel the prophet is speaking first person. God is speaking through him, and that's why it's written this way. The Lord says, not Joel says, the Lord says, I will give you, what's the word? Back. So it's dealing with what? Had happened. I will give you back what you lost. And then he uses a word picture to an agrarian uh, culture. They, their, their GDP was crops. They're farmers primarily during this time. So he uses a picture that would have meant something to them at that time. Does that make sense? 
So he uses uh, their farmers. The worst thing that could happen, uh, or one of the worst things that could happen to a farmer during that time, is that the locusts would come in and eat. And so he uses a word picture of how the enemy, real quickly, works in our lives. When the enemy is loosed in your life, he eats. He, he's a destroyer. Jesus said he is, he, he's a liar, he's a thief, and he's a killer. So he comes to just take and destroy. So this picture right here, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. He uses four different pictures for what a, an, an enemy does. This is, is a representation of a believer and what the enemy has done. The enemy will come in and eat from you, steal from you, take from you. Here's what God says, I will give you back restoration for what's been taken. Does that make sense? So I'll give you back. Uh, in the New Testament, you want a, like a, a New Testament understanding of it. Romans 8, 28. Uh, Paul writes, we know that God causes, what's that word? Everything. Say it one more time. Everything. So uh, just real quick, how much is everything? So there's no pre, it's not just relationships and it's not just money and it's not just time and it's not just health and it's not just, name the thing. It's everything. I mean, what? Wow. I'm glad there's no pre-qualifier on it. So we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In space and time, when something is happening in your life that is difficult, when, when you're being challenged, tested, when you're going through it, man, it doesn't feel like at that time God can use any of it for good. It feels, just the, it feels like everything's gone crazy and that somehow the enemy has seized control of your life. And here's what the Bible promises. God can use everything. So it's actually a warning to the enemy that the more you do, the more it'll come back on you. But it's a promise to his people. We sing that song. Great is your faithfulness. You've never failed me, yet it's gone. You've never failed me. This is how it happens. God can use everything to bring good in our lives. All right, um, this part I'm going to do real quickly. I don't want to, um, to dwell on this. Uh, I don't think it's the power of the message, but I think to rightly divide truth, it needs to be said. So I'm, I'm going to, I want to talk about restoration and the promises of restoration, but in order to do it rightly, I need to tell you what the limits of restoration are real quickly so that I'm not, oh, how about this? I wrote this down. We shouldn't make a promise that God can't keep. That was really good. I'm just, listen, listen. We should not make promises that God cannot keep. Sometimes we attribute things that God's going to do, and, and that's not how God operates. So here, here's three limits of restoration. Number one, restoration cannot change the past. It doesn't matter how, how powerful God is, and God is all-powerful. He cannot change the past. Uh, it's a goofy, goofy illustration, but I grew up with the Christopher Reeves Superman. Anybody else remember that one right there? He was not the greatest Superman, but at the time it was awesome. So he, he, there was one, he, he needed to go back in time because Lois Lane had died. So he spun the earth. He went as fast as he could around the earth and he reversed the earth. And in theory, that was supposed to make it go back in time. God doesn't do that. There's no way that you can change the past. And sometimes the best way to move forward is just simply to acknowledge and deal with what happened and move on from it. Yeah, to sit there and try to waste energy on time in saying this shouldn't have happened. Look at me real quick. 
I'm not being unmerciful. I'm actually loving you and leading you as your pastor. To simply keep saying the words, this should have never happened. I can't believe that this happened. You're wasting energy on instead going forward to what God has. He can use all things. That includes things that you had no control over as a child or as a spouse or as a parent, as a friend in a business with a doctor. Hello? He can use all things. And to sit there and live your life, this shouldn't have happened. Okay? But what can happen now? He can use all things. Everything. So the whole idea that, you know, I wish this hadn't... God can't change the past, so restoration doesn't mean the past will be erased. Look, this is mine. I didn't get this from a book. I've lived this. I've learned this. The power of the gospel cannot change the past, but it can change your future. That's where we live our lives at. It's what God's going to do with what happened. This is the second one real quick. Uh, Restoration won't remove a scar. It just simply... uh, The mark is there. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are the patriarchs of our faith. Uh, Jacob had uh, had sons who became uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he had another son uh, named Joseph. He loved Joseph. Uh, He favored Joseph. I don't have time to teach that story. Um, It's it's a really, it's a neat thing, and I'm going to actually reference Joseph in a few minutes is why I'm telling you right now. But Jacob, the father of Joseph, um, Jacob had this experience with God where he wrestled the Bible. He wrestled with God. And, and he wouldn't let God go until God blessed him. I don't know how that works exactly. This is hard for me to imagine. How could you wrestle with God, right? But he won't let God go till God blessed him. So the Bible says that God hit him in the hip and knocked his hip out of joint and then blessed him. And from that point on, he was blessed, but he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And it was maybe to remind him more than anybody else. And sometimes you will walk with a limp. Restoration does not mean that you won't have a scar. Just hear what I'm saying real quickly. Because if you have them, you know who you're most like if you have a scar? Yes, good. good. The answer is always Jesus, by the way. It's like if you were in children's church downstairs. The answer is just say Jesus is what I told my kids and you'll always be. Third one, real quick. Restoration, do you agree with this? Restoration, by implication, means that you're dealing with loss. There is no restoration unless you've experienced loss. Did you hear what I'm saying? So we all, I would love to be restored. Then what you're admitting is something's missing. I don't know what the something is. But just, all I'm trying to get you to understand is that Jesus never promises that we won't experience loss. In fact, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. You're more like him if you experience trouble. It's not the crux of the message, but I think to rightly divide truth needs to be an admission that restoration is not some eraser of what happened. It doesn't get rid of necessarily a limp. And just by implication, we're talking about somewhere you've experienced loss if you need restoration. Okay. So one more time, just don't make a promise that God can't keep or God doesn't make. Here's the best part of the message. Let me talk to you about the power of restoration, the part that I'm most excited about, the word that I'll spend uh, a little bit of my my time. Uh, Restoration gives you a future. Here's the best part about it. 
Uh, now, so when I say future, so one of the worst things that can happen to a person who, who's in a bad situation in life um, is to feel like, you know, uh, I'm going to live, but I'm going to live in the condition that I'm in right now. So, so that's, that's never what God promises you. He doesn't, he doesn't ever promise just that you'll survive. He promises, I'll give you a future that has hope with it. I'm going to show you in just a minute. And that's the best part of restoration, that no matter where you are right now, the promise of God is that you have a future that's good. And that if you, if you will cooperate with God, if you will use today to be the opportunity to say that regardless of what's going on, God, I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to allow you to work in my life right now. God, I open myself to you. God, I need you. God, I don't understand. God, I don't like. God, I can't control. God, I want away from all of this stuff. But the bottom line is, God, I'm going to trust you that you can make good out of this and that you can give me a hope in my future. So I read this really uh, terrible article yesterday about this small town in Utah. Uh, less than 5,000 people, but they've had eight teenage suicides in their high school in one year. Can you imagine that? And so the question was, why so many suicides at this very small town in this very small high school in such a short time? And, of course, they never asked the spiritual question. They never asked that. They're trying to figure out, you know, is it, is it biological? Is it just copycat stuff? So I, 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 I'm not smart enough to have an answer for all of that, but I can tell you the part that I do know, that people make the most incredibly bad decisions that affect the rest of their life when they assume they are not going to have hope in their future. Did you just hear what I said? When we make the assumption that they're, yeah, I'm going to live, but who cares? When you get in that place, that is such a, that the enemy has misled you. He's deceiving you. That is not what God says. The enemy is a great liar. He does not have the power of God. It is never good versus evil. The devil is limited. He is created like you were created. He doesn't know the future. He doesn't have all power, but he's an incredible liar. And when he, when he lies and you listen and believe the lie, you empower a liar when you believe the lie. So how powerful is a lie? People will lose their lives over a lie. Do you hear what I'm saying? How could a group of teens then... It could come from the idea that there's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing worth that's ever going to be any better. What a lie that is. What a lie that is. Restoration gives you a future. One of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11. I, If you know the Bible, you probably have heard it. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Okay, with me. They are plans for and not for disaster to give you a and a. There it is. It's not just that you'll live. It's not just that you'll survive, but you have a hope. And look at me real quick. If you're in a position where you're in the middle of things going the opposite way that you want them, and even if it's a long season, the most difficult thing is to believe that you're going to come out of that and that you're going to have a hope. And you need to, like you've listened to everything else tell you you don't have a hope, listen to me right now. You've got hope. You've got Christ. And if you feel like, I, I can't hear him, I can't see him, it doesn't seem like he even speaks to me, then right now, by faith, this is your day. This is your day, man. I'm teaching this for you. Don't lose. Don't back off. Don't be lied to. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. You've got a future and you've got a hope. And if you're like, Pastor, why are you so passionate about that? Because it's life and death. It matters. 
I'm not up here giving you a speech. There's not going to be a grade. But maybe you'll live. Maybe your family will live. Not just survive. Live. Look, when Jesus talks about the enemy, he came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he balances it immediately in the next sentence. But I came so that you can have life and have it to the full or the abundant life. So the devil may do this, but I've come to counteract and to tear down the works of the devil. You can have life and not any life, but a life that's worth having. That's what it means, a life that's worth having. Worth having. The one that you want. Love that. Uh, by the way, Jeremiah 29, 11, so that you get the context of it, um, when we come to church here, we've learned to rely very much on technology. Most people don't bring their Bibles because you know we're going to show you, and so it makes it easier not to. I, right or wrong, that's not what my, my point is. We use it because we rely on the technology too. But here's, here's what you're missing right now. If you could open up your Bible to Jeremiah 29, 11, each chapter, if it's a study Bible in particular, each chapter normally has a heading that tells you who it's written to and why it's written. Jeremiah 29, the heading of it says this, a letter to those in exile. So listen to me. When God says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans that are good and not evil to give you a future and a hope, Who's he talking to? People that have lost their homeland, people that have lost their family, people that have lost their income, people that have lost their future. God is saying, look, this is what the enemy has done, but here's what I'm going to do for you. And in the middle, when you would have talked to those people who were living in Babylon at the time, they would have said to you, I don't think God's ever going to hear our prayers. But not too long after that, he brings Israel back and restores the fortunes of Judah. So I don't know, are you hearing me right now? He, it, it's, this is not written to people who are on vacation living the high life. It's, it's written to people who are hurting. And God's message to the hurting is that I see you as, as, as a future and a hope. People with hope. Uh, here's the second one. Real restoration. Listen to this. Real restoration, it can't change the past, but real restoration can make you forget what happened. Listen, I, I'm gonna, I got two excellent points for you. Um, I was adopted. So my biological father abandoned my mother and my brother and I. I was three and my brother was two. And this was the 60s, and he, he's gone. And I didn't meet him again until I was in my 30s and heard nothing from him in the meantime. Gone. And... Um, the, the blessing of the Lord, the fortune of, of what God did for my family is that my mom met and fell in love with a man and his name was John Leach. And he loved another man's children so much that he adopted us and gave us his name. And we were at the doctor. I was probably eight or nine years old. So they had been married five or six years, and we were at the doctor, and uh, strep throat was going around like crazy, and I had to get a shot. Both my brother and I had, a, uh, had strep, we had to get a shot. Um, so we had gone in, and my mom and dad were there, and the doctor said, I need to get, I need to get the family history. Uh, so let's start with the father. Please tell me what the family history is so that they had it for us. And so my father begins to tell the doctor about how he grew up. Are, do you get what I'm saying? about what his medical history is, uh, about what his father's medical history. And finally, my mom goes, John, uh, I think the doctor might want to know what the boy's father, his medical history. And my dad looked at my mom and said, I am their father. 
He literally had forgotten. When restoration happens in your life, look at me real quick. It will be in you as though it never happened. And yet, you can remember it, but it's like another person experienced it. That's real. And you might say, that, you are crazy. I will never feel that way. You have a future and you have a hope and you're just not far enough from where you are. Um, I, I, man, I don't know. Um, for a while, I got into guns big. And I was buying all these different guns to shoot with. And I had this huge um, rifle. And uh, I was so excited to shoot it. I had gone down to the shooting range that I was a member of. And um, I, I was so excited to shoot it, I forgot to put on the ear protection. So you're in an enclosed area, number one. You're in between two dividers that the noise is going to reflect off of. And I forgot to put on. They have heavy-duty hearing, noise-canceling hearing phones because it's so loud, it damages your hearing. And I was so excited to shoot this rifle, I forgot to put it on. Aim it up, whammo! Everything, you know that noise? And people are... And I'm like, I'm never going to hear again. I will never hear again. Just listen to me real quick. When you're so close to the explosion, you think you're never going to hear again. You think to yourself, the damage is so permanent. And the experience that you're having seems to be, I will never get over this thing. Okay. I hear Jake go, mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear again. It just took time to get beyond. Does that make any? So restoration can make you forget. Look at this one right here. Um, remember I ref uh, referenced Joseph a minute ago? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has sons. He has a son named Joseph. I don't have time to tell Joseph's story. But um, just Joseph's brothers hated him because his father spoiled him. And God's hand was on him. And God would give him dreams. And one of the dreams was that um, it represented his father and his brother. He saw the moon and the stars bow down to him. And he recognized that it's, it's his father and his brothers are going to bow down in awe. Now, just real quick, if, did any of you have a younger brother? Okay, if your younger brother said, man, the Lord told me that not too long from now, you're going to be bowing down and paying homage to, how would you go, I'm so glad God speaks to you. <laughs> so what would you, you would probably hate him or her, whatever the case would be. And I'm using that word a little loosely right now. But they literally, they hated him. So much so that they decided to kill him. They plotted to kill him. And uh, one of the brothers, Reuben, came up with a plan. Instead of kill him, let's sell him. Yeah, yeah. I, what a good guy. Uh, let's sell him. So they sell him to a caravan going down to Egypt. And then they tell their father that he's dead. They let their father believe that his son was dead. These are not good guys. Joseph, he ends up in Egypt. And it's a long... Every time he starts to rise, the enemy comes in and eats and kicks something out from us, but God is with him so that no matter what he faces, God can use it for good. And he finally becomes the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. He's the prime minister and the only one who's more powerful uh, on the face of the earth at that time is the Pharaoh. This is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth 3,000 years ago. So he's in this position where God has restored him and Pharaoh gives him a wife and then he has two sons and he's so blessed in the place that was supposed to be a curse. Let's listen to me real quick. So what 
what Hebrews did was when they named their children, they weren't just single names like Jake, John, Dan, Deb. They, they were Hebrew sentences to remind a person of their destiny or what God had done. You follow me? Okay, so when Joseph has his first son, he names his son Manasseh. And we just hear Manasseh, but Manasseh is a little Hebrew sentence. So let me, let me tell you what Manasseh means. So Joseph is so blessed in the place that was supposed to be so bad. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, and this is what Manasseh means. God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family who did me wrong. Real quick, when God restores, you will forget. The very thing that was meant to kill you, God can use to bless you. Look, when I think about some of the things from my childhood, two things. How do you know you're over something? You don't talk about it anymore. When I first started teaching here, I talked about what happened to me a lot. I used to think it was because God was using it for people, but really it was therapy for me. Now I hardly ever mention my childhood. You want to know why? Because God has restored me completely. I don't have a story where I had a dad who was there. The one that adopted me was killed in a car wreck when I was 11. And then my mom married another time to a guy that was very abusive. But here's what the Lord has done. I have five kids who think I'm the best thing that's ever happened in the world. And now I have 10 grandkids. So I've got this thing I can go back to in my past that sucks. But I've got this thing now in my present and in my future that is so incredible. And what I didn't get by pedigree, I got by the Holy Spirit. And what I can't say I experienced, I'm living with them right now. And what happened to me did not happen to them. So the curse stopped with me. And I never, ever think about with them, oh, I wish it hadn't turned out that way. I feel so incredibly blessed. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? I'm not that guy. I'm this guy. I think to myself, how did it end up so good for me? Because God uses the thing that was meant to destroy you and turns it into something that can bless you. Does that make any, any sense? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking around at like younger people when I'm preaching this message, and I'm thinking, uh, man, it's, are you far enough in life where you can hear what I'm saying right now? So those with experience, you know, you know. You know, that thing can either kill you or it can build you. And you get to decide with God what you want. But real restoration, it can cause you to forget. Uh, I'm going to run out of time. Three, uh, real quick. Restoration redirects evil for good. Genesis 50, 20. This is Joseph again. Um, when his brothers are brought back to him after he's the prime minister, when he's in a position to get retribution, to get even, to, uh, to get revenge for what they did to him, um, he realizes that God used that very thing that was meant for evil to be good. So this is what he tells them. As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? 
in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. Back to that scripture that I used in the very beginning, Genesis, uh, uh, Romans 8.28. Go to that next one. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his prayer. Do you see it? Here's the story. So Paul, all Paul's doing is just saying, here's the principle. Joseph is the story. He's the story. And that happens. It, it's for all of us. Here's the fourth one real quick. Restoration happens in authentic community. Some restoration, real quickly, get this. This is really important. Some restoration is between you and God. But some restoration cannot happen unless it happens this way with other people. Okay. You need people in your life. And when the enemy is having a field day with you, next time it happens, pay attention. Because I bet one of the things you do, when the devil is having a field day, I bet you isolate yourself. Because he works best when he can get you off by yourself. An authentic community helps to bring restoration in our lives. Okay, this comes from the message translation, Isaiah 58, 12. I don't use the message very much, but this, this is just written so well. L look at how the, you, you'll use the old rubble of past lives. Let this sink in. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build a new life. You'll rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix what? And you'll restore old ruins. Look at this next part right here. You'll rebuild, you'll renovate, and you'll make your community, the community, livable again. Dude, that's a powerful promise from God. He'll use the very rubble of the past to build your new house today. When we go to Israel, another shameless plug for going to Israel. One of the things that we do when we're touring different places, uh, things that were built 3,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago, many of those things are not standing right now. Most of those things are not standing. But what you're looking at, they call it second use. They took the, the materials, like a, a pillar and a column. You know those Roman things that you see? They took pillar and columns, and they used it like as, uh, as bridges, as doorsteps, uh, as front porches. It's called second use. And here's simply my point. In our lives is always second use. God uses the stuff from the past to help us build to the future. And you think, no, I'm just going to walk away from all that stuff. God wants you to let that stuff become the thing that he beats the devil with in your life. Uh, yeah, yeah. And here's the last one, and I, I'm out of time. Forgive me. Uh, restoration of everything will actually come in heaven. Not everything is supposed to be restored on this earth. Uh, now, a lot of what God does is here and now. But he reserves some things to be then and there because heaven is supposed to be better than earth. Let me say it one more time. The reason that some things won't get resolved on this earth is because they're not supposed to be resolved on this earth. Heaven is supposed to be better. When I was a kid and when I went to Bible school, uh, there was this old-fashioned term called the blessed hope. And the blessed hope was the return of Jesus for his church and that we would go with him to heaven. And it was this idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb and that we were to so look forward. And somehow heaven has become a fearful thing for so many people. And the earth seems to be the thing they want to hold on to. Let me just tell you, this baby is passing away in front of your eyes. It is rotting every day. Its system, everything that it, that it contains that tells you this is who you are and how you're supposed to live, this thing is passing away and eternity is real, friend. You will be as alive 10,000 years as you are right now. Where will you be? Hear me say it. Where will you be? It matters. 
We are not playing games. We're not doing religion. This matters. And some things aren't to be resolved on this earth. This is the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Look at this promise. I heard a loud shout from the throne room saying, Look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. Look at this part right here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more, these four things, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more what? Jesus said the last enemy to be defeated is death. Won't it be a day when we never have to face death again? In this life, there is a 100% mortality rate. Look at me. Everyone you know is going to die. I don't mean to be morbid right now, and that includes you. But there's coming a place and a time when God himself will reconcile. Even death will be defeated. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears. God himself will wipe away every tear, and he will tell you, you will never experience this again. How good is that day going to be? Some things in this life, look, it's a fallen world. Accidents happen. Mistakes are made. Tears are shed. People hurt. Injustices are all around us. We work to correct those things. That's why we're here. We, we pray to bring God's kingdom to the earth. But there is the kingdom of God that's coming in eternity. And you need to be there. You need to be there. And it's not, no one ever ends up in heaven accidentally. Look at me real quick. Here's the punchline. No one ever gets there accidentally. You will not be surprised if you open your eyes and you're in heaven. You got there on purpose. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Jesus is preparing heaven right now for people who are planning on going. No one gets there accidentally. Where are you at with what I'm saying? Today might be a day of restoration in multiple ways. Maybe spiritually it's a day of restoration for you. Maybe emotionally it's a day of restoration for you. Maybe physically. Maybe your mind. God just needs to restore your mind. Here's our point of ministry. On my right, your left, back in the corner by the windows, we will have people, part of our prayer team, who are here to pray with you. My left, your right, back by the drum cage. There'll be people back there who are ready to pray with you. Here's what we thought would be the most impactful thing that could happen, is that if we're talking about restoration, and we believe that a definition of restoration is that God makes you whole, mind, spirit, and body, then it's okay to ask God to restore you. It's okay to believe God to give back. And even if you say, man, I, Pastor, I just I can't believe it anymore. That's why I have people here to pray. Because maybe you need someone to help you carry a burden right now. Help you believe. Help you agree. Maybe coming out of the shadows and coming out of anonymity would be as simple as going to one of those people and saying, I need you to pray with me about, and then say it out loud. Maybe finding restoration in your life today is about allowing God into those places that seem so chaotic. 
into the place where the enemy has eaten and had a field day. Into the place where you just feel like, I give up. I've given up. I've given in. I just can't fight anymore. This is your day. This is your day. And even if, like, you go, Pastor, I just, I don't even know. Okay, then by faith, just by faith, go and ask them to pray for you. If you find yourself in that position, and what I'm saying right now seems very relevant to you, I need for God to restore, fill in the blank, a relationship, your mind, your soul, your body. We have the right to ask God to restore in all of those areas. The word tells us that God causes everything, everything. There's not one area that you can't come today and by faith ask God to help you with. As Jay leads us in this last worship song, if what I'm saying is relevant to you and you need prayer, I want you to feel as soon as we begin to say that you can just step and go to those people and seek out prayer. If you don't feel like that's what I need today, then just sing this song and as soon as he's done, he'll dismiss you. Father, for either place, God, restore your people. Restore the fortunes of Judah. Bring back the captive. For those that are in exile, bring them home. For those that are home, elevate them. God, make us whole. And I thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you will.